This is Caps Talk on Caps Radio 24-7. The only sports talk show in Washington dedicated to talking Washington Capitals hockey. Hear from the players, the coaches, local and national media personalities. And call us with your questions and comments toll-free at 1-855-GO-CAPS-5. Radio 24-7. Here's your host of Capstock, Ben Raby. All right, here we go. Welcome into another edition of Caps Talk. Thursday afternoon edition of the show. First day of winter, December 21st, if you prefer, as we inch ever so closely to the NHL's three-day Christmas break. The NHL set to go dark. December 24th, 25th, and 26th. But before that, two more games for the Capitals out west as they visit the Arizona Coyotes tomorrow night in Glendale. And then the big one on Saturday. Looking forward to this as the Capitals visit the Vegas Golden Knights for the first time in franchise history. And we can tell you, at least going into play tonight, Capitals and Vegas Golden Knights, that is a pair of division leaders the vegas golden knights tied atop the pacific division with the la kings vegas with two games in hand capitals meanwhile in sole possession of first place in the metropolitan division capitals two points clear of both the new jersey devils and the columbus blue jackets the jackets inching closer to the division last night as they beat the toronto maple leafs Four to two. So the Capitals getting set for the Arizona Coyotes. That game again coming up tomorrow night in Glendale. And the Capitals just wrapping up practice in Arizona as we speak. We were actually expected to be joined by John Walton right now, but practice has ended a little bit early, we're told. So John Walton is going to be doing the rounds inside the Capitals dressing room. Speaking of head coach Barry Trotz, hope to have some of that fresh audio coming up in a little bit more likely in hour number two we do have a busy edition of the show upcoming we're going to look ahead to the weekend we reference the capitals visiting the vegas golden knights we are going to check in with the vegas golden knights nhl.com correspondent danny webster coming up in just a little bit his thoughts on the best home team in the nhl vegas 14 2 and 1 at T-Mobile Arena this season, the best home record in the National Hockey League and coming off arguably one of the Golden Knights' best wins of the season. On Tuesday night, a 4-3 win over the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Vegas Golden Knights almost, it was almost a buzzer beater. They won at the end of regulation with 2.3 seconds remaining as they defeated the Tampa Bay Lightning 4-3. So the Vegas Golden Knights playing very well again. That was on Tuesday, and now uh, Vegas doesn't play again until they host the Capitals on Saturday. So that will be a rested Golden Knights team. The Capitals, meanwhile, will be playing their second game in as many nights following tomorrow's matchup against the Arizona Coyotes. Also coming up in hour number one, Rob Carlin from NBC Sports Washington. Get his thoughts on the Capitals' recent hot streak of late winners of four in a row. Most recently, the 4-3 overtime win over the Dallas Stars on Tuesday night. Andre Burakovsky, the Capitals' third line, leading the way in that one. Burakovsky scoring twice, including the overtime game winner. And also, Brett Connolly with a goal and an assist in the win the other night. That third line for the Capitals, talking about secondary scoring. 
They led the way. They counted for three of the Capitals' four goals in the win in Dallas. And we can't forget that other goal coming from defenseman Dmitry Orlov, the goal of the year candidate. We'll talk about the Capitals' win in Dallas with Rob Carlin. We'll also get his thoughts on the New York Islanders getting their new arena. At least the uh, they won the bid to get the arena as they will return to Long Island coming up in a couple of years at Belmont Park, a monumental day for the New York Islanders organization. The announcement made official yesterday. Rob Carlin, a Long Island native originally, was once a part of the Islanders broadcast team as well. We'll get Rob's thoughts on that development in the National Hockey League earlier this week. Also coming up on the show in hour number two, we'll chat with Greg Wyshynski from ESPN.com. Get his thoughts as well on the Vegas Golden Knights. He was embedded with the team earlier this week, spent a few days in Vegas, did Greg Wyshynski earlier in the week, looking a little bit more into the home ice advantage the Golden Knights have enjoyed so far in their inaugural NHL campaign. Also coming up on the show, Brian Compton from NHL.com in New York at the 411 again on the Islanders, moving into their new arena in a few years And also the current state of the New York Islanders remaining competitive in the Metropolitan Division. The Islanders in action tonight. They'll host the Anaheim Ducks and the Islanders entering play tonight. Six points behind the Capitals for top spot in the Metropolitan Division. So a busy edition of the show as far as the guests are concerned. And again, also coming up in hour number two of the show, we are going to have some audio following the Capitals practice. All right, right now what we're going to do, have this on standby in case John was not going to be available right now. Again, he is working the room after the Capitals practice in Arizona. Right now we have it on standby. We reference the Capitals getting set to face the expansion Vegas Golden Knights earlier this season. Among our conversations on the show, we chatted with Ron Lowe, a member of the original Washington Capitals back in the 1974-75 season. It was a forgetful year for the expansion Capitals. They won just eight of their first 80 games in that season. They had a 37-game road losing streak. They lost countless games by double digits. It was far from what the Vegas Golden Knights are enjoying right now in their inaugural season. It really was. It literally was the worst expansion team in NHL history, talking about the 74-75 Capitals. And Ron Lowe, poor him, he was the goaltender, the number one goalie on that miserable expansion bunch, but had a chance to catch up with Ron Lowe, talking about the differences, expansion team then, as opposed to now, and just from his perspective, how far the Capitals organization has come along since those initial growing pains in year number one. Before we get to the regular season itself, what are some of your memories about that team coming together in training camp? A lot of fresh faces, some young players, some journeymen. It was a collection of talent that, in a short period of time, had to come together. Yeah, it, that's uh, the really tough thing, I think, about uh, expansion is all of a sudden you're just thrown together and probably half of us didn't know who the other people were. We had a lot of guys that had come up from the minors, myself included, and uh, yeah, guys, if they were playing in, uh, in the International League or the East Coast League or the Central League, lots of them never ever crossed over each other's paths. In the first week of the season, you start with, not unlike Vegas these days, you start with two games on the road, but you come home. Ivan LeBray likes to joke he had the first ever goal on home ice for the Capitals. He beat Rogie Vashon in a 1-1 tie, but he had a tie. You had a win a couple of nights later against the Chicago Blackhawks. Do you recall what the, the buzz or the feeling inside the room was for a team which four games in anyways, you were collecting a few standings points? 
Hey, man, we, we were on fire. We were, we were ready to... In retrospect. ...building, for sure. Yeah. yeah, all of a sudden reality set in. What was it like, though, coming to a market like this where there wasn't a lot of hockey history? In fact, I don't think there had been minor league hockey in this market for about 15, 16 years before the arrival of the Capitals. You're dealing with a fan base which wasn't established, and, and you're trying to, to, to make things come together as a team as well. You know, the, the thing I do remember about it, Ben, is that uh, the fans that were there were great fans. They loved, uh, they obviously loved the sport of hockey. And, uh, I mean, just look at what's going on now. They've got a great hockey club, and they deserve it, and they've still got that unbelievable fan base. I mean, it's uh, it's actually become a tradition in Washington, and uh it was kind of cool that uh, we were part of the initiation, as bad as it might have been. Uh, we were still part of it, and uh, the first pro hockey team in in there for, like you said, a long time. I have to ask, how, how did you get through that first season? And what I mean by that is I referenced a moment ago, early on you had a, a home victory over Chicago, you had a tie, it looked like you guys were holding your own. We know how the season unfolds, eight wins in 80 games, a lot of blowout defeats. It couldn't have been easy. How did you, as the goaltender in particular, manage to get through that? Uh, you know what? I think when we were living it, it didn't seem really as as bad as it ended up <laughs> being on the score sheet. <laughs> I mean, we were basically a bunch of, uh, there was some grizzled bets and there was some uh, young kids and, we were all really happy to be in the NHL, and in the end, that's uh, basically what it's all about. You're playing a sport, albeit we may not have played great, we were still playing the sport that we love to play in the best league uh, available in the world. So I guess as tough as things were, they they really had weren't nearly as bad as people maybe thought they were. It's interesting you say that. I, I, I spoke a few months ago to, he wasn't on the expansion team, but he joined you the second season, Bernie Wolf, who, of course, you you shared the, the goaltending duties with him, Bernie. And he said the same thing. He sort of laid it out that you dream of playing in the National Hockey League, and regardless of what the team's record was at the time, we were happy to be going into the Montreal Forum. We were happy to be going into Madison Square Garden. We were in the show. We were in the league, and we were happy with that experience. I wonder, though, Ron, there had to have been some veterans who had, you know, Doug Moans, the captain, comes to mind, who had long careers. And, and I imagine for some folks, to, it, it was more than just being there. And, and I, I wonder how some of those guys uh, made it through the season as well. Well, you know, I think we all all wanted to win. Um, harsh reality was, uh, in the end, we weren't good enough to win. That was a, a very weird era in the National Hockey League. And the expansion draft that the Vegas Knights just went through is one hell of a lot more fair than the expansion draft the Washington Capitals and the uh, Colorado team went through. I mean, yeah. we we didn't get your eighth or ninth best player from everybody's team. And man, I'm telling you right now, Vegas they may look uh, they may look good coming out of the gate. I think they are good. I think they've got some really good talent. And they could I I predicted here that they'd have a huge shot at making the playoffs because if you're getting everybody's maybe best third liner 
you may be their yep. first best third liner, you got a hell of a hockey club. In the NHL today, that's a really good team. And I think for comparison's sake, to, to your point, Ron, for you guys, it was the Capitals and Kansas City Scouts. You had the, the 16th and 17th best players off every other team. And, and you're right. The, these days, teams were only allowed to protect seven or eight. So inevitably, the, the challenges were going to be tough for, for you and, and the Kansas City Scouts, who, who weren't much better at the time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, no, it, it, it is reality. And the thing about Vegas that's amazing, too, is they get to pick a 30 teams, uh, eighth or ninth best player. I mean, that's a that's a big big difference between what we went through, and uh, they've done their homework, man. They when they picked up all their defensemen, uh, they'll trade half of them for sure, and yeah. uh, hey, they're going to get more draft picks, and uh, they're going to get nothing but better. Ron, I wonder, too, when, when you were going through that season, what some of the highlights were? The wins were limited, but what were the highlights? I know a road win late in the season in California might come to mind, but what were some of the, the lighter moments, more enjoyable experience you and your teammates got to share during now what was otherwise maybe a trying season? Well, I, you know, we did have, we did have some, um, some decent games that we lost. Uh, there was a bunch of games where we were leading – late in the game and found a way to frickin' lose it, probably because they had me in goal. But uh, there's a lot of things that that transpired that year. But like I said, I mean, even even harsh reality was we won eight games. We were still in in the show. And the the road game was likely the highlight of the year because it was a a major uh, ugly mark on our hockey club is that we had never – won a game on the road and I don't 37 know, games in last of the year that we won yep. finally it was close I know that because we were in uh Oakland and uh that was a I mean that was a huge night for us it was uh it was a funny night I mean that was likely the the craziest thing I'd ever seen and uh yeah it, hey all kinds of stuff and like I said it was never really as bad as I think Everybody thought it would have to be to only have eight wins. We were we were competing and we were out there giving it exactly what we had. And man, forty three years ago, boy, does time fly. <laughs> and and the road game we're referencing, the Capitals had lost thir- their first thirty seven road games in franchise history. I know games in Philadelphia and Montreal certainly might come to mind as the tough challenges. But finally, late in the year, you're in Oakland. The guys rally for a win uh, against the California Seals in front of only a hand, you know, 3,000 fans, I think, was the attendance. And you, you must recall the celebration that happened in the locker room afterwards. Absolutely. We got the garbage can out and uh, did a little signing, and uh, Ace went out and twirled it around the rink. Uh, yeah, it was yeah, crazy. You know what, though? That was a fun group of people. Uh, there were some characters on that hockey club. Ace comes to mind, Tommy Williams. I mean, there was a lot of Dennis DuPerry. There was a lot of guys that were absolutely uh, characters in the game. And, uh, yeah, there, it, was, it was actually a lot of fun. 
And that's the late Ace Bailey that Ron is uh, referring to there. Final thing here, Ron, to bring it back full circle. Uh, you touched on it at the start of the conversation, the fact that the Capitals right now still looking for that elusive first Stanley Cup, but three President's Trophies over the past few years are going to play another outdoor game this year. They hosted the Winter Classic a few years ago. This has become one of the, the model franchises in the NHL. I'm not sure if you could have envisioned that uh, way back when, 40-plus years ago. You touched on the, the, the fan base that they did have. We're very into it, but it was small. Uh, it, it must be something, uh, a source of pride, when you think about how far the organization has come and just knowing that you had a small, small part back in that initial uh, season. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to, to look at their franchise now, man, they got a they got a great hockey club, and they've got... You guys are playing Tampa Bay tonight in what uh, could be the Eastern final if it all works out that way. I think that uh, they, they've got a really good hockey club. They're uh, coached very well by my buddy and uh, hometown Dauphin boy. Uh, yeah. Very, yeah, they've got a really good hockey club, and uh, they've been snake bitten a little bit. Uh, one of these years, the Chicago Cub thing will come through, and uh, they'll be raising it. And I've don't know how much longer it'll be until they do that. They've got a really good hockey club. They should be they should be able to win with uh, all the pieces they've got put together now. They're, I think they're stronger than they've maybe been ever. And hopefully when they do, they certainly pay tribute to the fellas like yourself who laid the grain, groundwork back in 1974. Ron Lowe, this was a treat on late notice. Thank you, Ron. Thanks, Ben. It was nice being with you. All right, there was Ron Lowe, member of the expansion, 1974-75 Washington Capitals. He was the number one goalie. Ron Lowe, actually the first player taken by the Capitals in the expansion draft in 1974. And we played that as the Capitals get set on Saturday to face for the first time the latest NHL franchise, the expansion Vegas Golden Knights, who are nothing like what the Capitals were in their first year. Again, the Capitals with that woeful 867 and 5 record, the worst expansion team in NHL history. The Vegas Golden Knights uh, making the case. They keep this up. They'll go down as the best expansion team in NHL history. 22, 9 and 2, 46 points on the season, tied with the LA Kings, top spot in the Pacific Division. And we will get more on the Vegas Golden Knights when we come back. We are going to head to the strip. We will chat with Danny Webster, Vegas Golden Knights correspondent for NHL.com. Get his thoughts on one of the hottest teams in the NHL of late, the Vegas Golden Knights, as a busy edition of Caps Talk continues in a moment. Caps Radio 24-7 in the Caps mobile app. For fans inside the Beltway or anywhere on Earth where the red is rock. Stanley Cup, baby, let's go! This is Caps Talk. Let's go, Caps! On your radio home of the Washington Capitals. Caps Radio 24-7. If the Golden Knights can't get one by the end of regulation, it would carry over to a four-on-three power play in overtime. Battle for it along the left corner. No one's come away with it yet. Time continuing to tick off the clock. Five seconds, Hala. Off down to Perron. The Theodore scores! Jay Theodore with 2.3 seconds to go! Wow! Shay Theodore, what a night! His fourth point of the night, and he scores late. This crowd erupts as the Vegas Golden Knights with 2.3 seconds left. 
The blast by Shea Theodore. And that's how it sounded at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas on Tuesday night. Dave Gosher, Shane Knighty had the TV call as the Vegas Golden Knights. They beat the buzzer with just over two seconds remaining, and they knock off the league-leading Tampa Bay Lightning 4-3 the final in regulation. Shea Theodore, the game winner on the power play. It was in the American Hockey League earlier this year, Shea Theodore. More of a circumstance due to uh, salary cap and roster space restrictions. But nonetheless, for a guy who starts the year in the AHL to come up with a goal at three assists, counting in on all four goals for Vegas as they beat the Lightning 4-3. to three. That is a good night at the office for Shea Theodore and another good night collectively for the Vegas Golden Knights as they continue to rack up the wins as they improve to 22-9-2, 46 points on the air, tied with the LA Kings' top spot in the Pacific Division. Vegas, though, with two games in hand. As we welcome you back inside the D.C. studios, Ben Raby back with you, hour number one of this Thursday afternoon edition of Caps Talk Capitals in Vegas to take on the Golden Knights on Saturday from T-Mobile Arena. And for more on the Vegas Golden Knights, we say hello to the program once again from NHL.com. Danny Webster. Danny, how are you? Ben, I am doing very well. How about yourself? Doing well. Appreciate this. First off, Danny, describe the scene the other night at the arena. Maybe on deadline, it wasn't uh, your best friend the way that game unfolded the other night. But man, oh man, that's exciting stuff. That comes right that comes right through the TV. I'm telling you, watching that, that was something the other night. All the home wins they're putting up. This one may have been, maybe, maybe the best of the bunch. Yeah, I, I will definitely agree. The whole deadline thing was not the best uh, situation, but. I'll tell you from my point of view, I was watching that scrum in the corner for about a good 10 to 12 seconds. And I'm watching that unfold and I'm like, okay, we're going overtime, going overtime. And I, and I said before the game, I told a couple of people, I said, if this goes to a shootout, I don't trust Vegas to win. So they're either going to need to somehow survive three on three, or in that case, four on three when they have the power play or, you know, just somehow win it in regulation. And sure enough, Eric Holly gets the puck out, gets it to Jonathan Marshall-Salt, and Shea Theodore is right there and fires a laser past Vasilevsky. And I, I'd never seen a crowd erupt so loud in such, a, in such an instant. That was one of the more surreal scenes I've ever seen, one of the greatest finishes from probably the game of the year so far. And it just adds another storybook element to this team in this season that is just too impossible to describe right now so how do you when you look at the season as a whole watching it from afar we figure okay the eight and one start to begin the year there's a nice story there were a lot of home games in there the adrenaline the positivity of a first year franchise the vegas uh certainly the the shootings were fresh in everyone's mind and they were playing with a little extra something perhaps to start the year but that was a nice october story we're now almost three full months into the year how have they been able to keep it going beyond that initial eight nine game stretch of the year you know that's that's a question that i've gotten asked over the last couple of months and Ben, I'll say, honest to goodness, the same answer I give everybody is I don't know because there's something different each time. And I know the last time uh, you and I talked was right before the uh, right before the Detroit game, which was the game that uh, Flurry got that concussion in. And when that happened, it was like, well, this, uh, this great story uh, is probably going to come crashing down very quickly. And then here comes Malcolm Subban, who 
you know, did not play well in the short stints when he was still in Boston. Comes in, plays extremely well. He gets hurt. Oscar Dance comes in from the AHL, uh, records the first ever shutout in Golden Knights history, and he's playing well. He goes out. Max Legacy, who by all accounts uh, should is not a typical NHL goaltender. He's been in the AHL. He's probably best certified for the AHL. He comes in and he somehow keeps this team afloat for 13-plus games, and they're playing 500 hockey. So you tackle that with you know how well you know guys like William Carlson and Jonathan Marshall have been playing, but the goaltending has been able to keep this team afloat for so long. And now that you've got Mark Andre Fleury back, and he's been playing like Prime Fleury ever since he came back into the lineup, he is, Vegas is in a position right now where it's unspeakable, you know, to even think where they would have been after that eight and one start. But the fact that they've been able to play so well, even when Fleury was out, even with the rash of injuries that they had. You know, it, it's mind-boggling, and it just makes no sense how they're able to make this happen. It's run unreal. Expansion team or otherwise, any team that's going three, four deep on the goaltending depth chart for an extended period of time, uh, that is certainly uh, admirable the way they were able to carry through. Uh, I want to ask, you may be reading a little too much into it, but a guy with a Capitals connection, Dave Pryor, goaltending coach now in year number one in Vegas. We're familiar with his work here from the time he spent in Washington, how much of a behind the scenes, maybe contributing factor has he meant to the carousel of goaltenders and their ability to string together the wins that they did while it was a little bit of musical chairs there. Yeah, that's, that's the name I forgot to mention. Dave Pryor has been such a, an amazing boost to this team. And you go back to uh, when the golden Knights uh, grabbed Malcolm Subban off waivers and, you know, it was, it was a head-scratching move at the time because they still had Calvin Pickard, who they got in the expansion draft from Colorado. And when they grabbed Subban, it was like, okay, are they going to carry three goaltenders? You know, what's, what's the purpose here? And behind the scenes, it was Dave Pryor essentially saying, I like Subban, let's roll with Subban as the backup. And it turns out that that was probably the best decision that they made. And he, Dave Pryor has had a huge hand in – all this goaltending success, you know, Gerard Gallant trusts him a lot when it comes to his goaltenders. You know, Gallant doesn't really, doesn't really want to put much input into the goaltending situation. He lets Dave handle that. And so far he has just been probably a big godsend for the Golden Knights and how they're able to, you know, sit where they're at with 46 points. Because I guarantee you, if it was any other goalie coach, it probably isn't going as well as it is right now for Vegas. Well, we certainly remember the uh, the good job he did here in Washington all those years, Dave Pryor. And without going into detail here, our listeners here in Washington will appreciate this. You referenced Gerard Gallant, lets Dave Pryor do his thing. He leaves the goaltenders and the goaltending coach alone. I'll say that's a little different than what Dave may have experienced in his final season here in Washington. I think folks in these parts know what I'm talking about. But final thing here, uh, Danny, and appreciate this. Uh, I heard an interesting tidbit the other day from uh, from George McPhee on SiriusXM. He was doing an interview, and I found this interesting. Sort of a, a surprising or a development that he wasn't necessarily counting on is that because of the nature in which the team was built with the expansion draft, of course, he noted that not literally every game, but nearly every game, there's somebody in that dressing room who has a little extra something to play for, whether it was Marc-Andre Fleury last week against Pittsburgh or Marcia Sowen Smith and even Galan against Florida the other night, or maybe Nate Schmidt Saturday night when the Capitals roll into town. Every single night, almost, there is somebody in that room who has a little little extra something that they're playing for, perhaps. 
You know, we were actually talking about that with DeLond a little while ago. And, you know, you notice that, you know, at the beginning of the season, these guys that technically are considered cast-offs, you know, in the expansion draft. And, you know, you've seen guys like William Carrier. He played his best game of the year against Buffalo. You know, you mentioned Flurry playing against Pittsburgh. That probably has something to play for. It, there, there is definitely an instance uh, amongst this season that when guys are facing their former teams, they tend to have some of the best games of their career. And now it looks like Nate Schmidt's the next guy up for that challenge. And <laughs> Nate has been playing some of his best hockey so far in the last uh, last month or so. So it, it definitely it's definitely not a coincidence. It is actually fact that a lot of these guys probably play with a probably have a you know a lot to play for and whatnot. So, you know, it, it's definitely fact that is. Man, no, it's awesome. And George was suggesting like, yeah, it's a natural thing, but I, I think what he was trying to say was he did not, like, it's not something you necessarily count on coming into a season, but he said, and you gave the examples there as well, Danny, like it's, it's almost every night uh, somebody is stepping up and making the most of it. So appreciate this, Danny. I know the Golden Knights are off until Saturday, so we'll look for the coverage on NHL.com and the preview, the game day preview as well. Appreciate this, Danny, and uh, happy holidays and happy new year. All right, you too, Ben. Thanks a lot. All right, there he is, Danny Webster. Very good stuff right there from Danny Webster with NHL.com. Year number one as the NHL.com correspondent with the expansion Vegas Golden Knights. And man, oh man, everyone covering the Golden Knights out there, they are getting more than they bargained for in a positive way. I didn't even get to ask him, I meant to, about uh, some of their contributions offensively. Jonathan Marcheseau, perhaps the best bargain in the NHL. 750000 is his contract. And Marcheseau among the offensive catalysts for the third highest scoring team in the league this season in Vegas. They give up a little. They certainly give up shots against, and some of the goaltending has been uh, standing on their head this year, but they'll trade chances, not by design, Vegas, but it's just the way it's played out for them. A uh, highly offensive bunch are the Golden Knights. All right, we will take a timeout. When we come back, we will chat with Rob Carlin, NBC Sports Washington. Get his thoughts on the Capitals' recent play of late. Winners of four in a row, 12 of 15 overall. And also looking ahead to the back-to-backs, Arizona tomorrow and Vegas on Saturday. Caps Talk back in a moment. Caps Radio 24-7 and the Caps Mobile app. This is Caps Talk on Caps Radio 24-7. Center point, Carlson, leading for Burakovsky, up to the left circle, a shot, he scores! He scores! Andre Burakovsky wins it for Washington in overtime! Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, Dallas! Washington, for the second straight year, defeats the Stars in overtime at American Airlines Center. Final score, Washington 4 and Dallas 3. And there it was, Tuesday night in Dallas. Andre Burakovsky, your first star, two goals and an assist. Also had in there the game winner, in overtime as the Capitals rally late in the third period, down 3-2 with less than four minutes to play. Brett Connolly, the game-tying goal with 3.26 remaining, again setting the stage for Andre Burakovsky's game winner, camping off a two-goal night for Burakovsky. He's now up to three tallies overall 
on the years. We welcome you back inside the D.C. studios. Ben Raby back with you. Our number one of this Thursday afternoon edition of Caps Talk. And we keep it rolling on the phones right now. We say hello from NBC Sports Washington, Rob Carlin. How are you, Rob? I'm very good, Ben. How are you? I'm all right. Rob is getting set for, uh, we'll, we'll get the plug right out of the way here. Rob is getting set for a big <laughs> recording coming up at the top of the hour. Tell us what you've got on the Caps Extra podcast coming up. Yeah, it's a special edition of the Caps Extra podcast, which is usually recorded right after every game and released in the morning. Uh, but tonight with uh, the trip, the first ever trip to Vegas coming up and no night off in between, reached out to the Golden Knights and we're getting the GM GM of the Vegas Golden Knights, George McPhee, is going to join us. So uh, me and Tarek El-Bashir will catch up with him and find out what life has been like building a team from scratch, having probably expectations of keeping your head above water and making some trades for draft picks in the future and now looking up and finding that you may be one of the final, uh, the favorites for the Stanley Cup. So uh, it should be interesting to get his take on how this is all sort of played out in what I think is the best story overall of the NHL season. Yeah, I don't think it's close. I'm I'm even thinking what comes close to that. It's just been uh, a crazy story. I think a fun one to watch from afar. We're looking forward to seeing them for the first time Saturday night in a game against the Capitals. But I'm not sure how much time you have with George McPhee, uh, Rob, but something worth noting. Uh, reference this last segment. We spoke to uh, NHL.com correspondent in Vegas, Danny Webster, and I referenced to him. I'd heard George on an interview a few weeks ago. And McPhee said sort of a a surprising development this season, something he wasn't necessarily counting on, was when you consider the way the team was constructed through the expansion draft, you've got all these sort of cast-offs from around the league. He said every single night they have a game, there's somebody in that Vegas Golden Knights room who is playing with some extra motivation. You don't think Nate Schmidt wants to have his best game of the season Saturday against the Capitals? And it's like every single game, there's a story like that. And George said, maybe you take it for granted. You don't think about it. But when it comes time to play, there is somebody every night who has extra motivation to do well. That's really interesting. And it's funny because uh, earlier today, just sort of in preparing and, you know, I kind of know the big broad strokes of the of the golden Knights, But so I went and downloaded their official um, podcast that they do. And it's their broadcasters. And the last one they recorded was from before the Pittsburgh game. So it was pre uh, Mark Andre Fleury playing the penguins for the first time, which is again, a huge story around the league because here's the first face of the new penguins that led to three cups. And he gets his first, you know, chance to play them. And then they played the Panthers, yeah. who, of course, fire <laughs> Gallant in the worst, most embarrassing way possible. And uh, actually, there's a really funny story in that. Shane Hanidi, who's now the, you know, one of the TV broadcasters, said that this summer he was talking with Gallant about they were going to a fight together. And he said, uh, you know, great, let's head over there. I'll call a cab. And Gallant said, Ben. <laughs> No, no. I learned how to use Uber now. I'm never waiting for a cab again in my life, which is a really funny story. But yeah, I mean, there was huge story with Flower against Pittsburgh, huge story with Galan against Florida. I mean, not quite as huge nationally or, you know, around. No, the league, and, and you had Jonathan Marcheseau and Riley Smith also going up against Florida in that game. Right, right. And now Nate Schmidt against the Caps. So yeah, I, I hadn't really thought about it that way because, you know, we know covering the Caps, there's couple of times a year where oh this might be a big game for so and so but you know 
I don't know if it's still a big game for Brooks Orpik or Matt Niskanen when they play the Penguins, <laughs> other than it's a big game. But, yeah, you're right. With, a, with a, an expansion team, every single player was let go by somebody. So that's a really funny – maybe we will get to that. I, I'm not really <laughs> sure how long we'll have them. I'm hoping for about 25 minutes or so, and, uh, but maybe we will get to that. Well, that'll be good. We'll, we'll look for that. Folks could be like me, and they could subscribe to the Caps Extra podcast, <laughs> or it's also available. It's also This is how I used to get it until Rob took my phone and downloaded it for me. Rob, or you can say, get I'm it. I'm not going to be there for everyone to subscribe for them on their phone. but Right, yeah. so they can subscribe via, via the iTunes on the phone with the apps, all kinds of techie words here. Or it's also available on the website. NBC Sports Washington, which I probably should not say this, but you can get there by going to csnma.com. That, no, that still works. That, no, no. NBCSportsWashington.com. Yeah. Just say NBCSportsWashington.com. Really yes. The really super techie words like app. Yeah, that's a really <laughs> high tech thing. And- as we hit 2018 <laughs> that's right yeah I, I have like two podcasts well this show is one of them and and your show is the other one to go along with that's the parking correct. meter and the mcdonald's app you know that that's how we roll here all right rob final few minutes here we won't keep you because you have the interview coming up but let's talk a little bit about the capitals here winners of four in a row that was awesome to see the other night the two goals from andre burakovsky finally to get him going again we know the value of the secondary scoring but burakovsky for whatever reason more so than others they tend to come in bunches and you hope for him that the other night was the sign of things to come because, man, oh, man, do they need 65 to get going. Yeah, absolutely. And the great thing is without him, without T.J. Oshie, other guys have been stepping up. That's been you know, probably the secondary great story other than just the collection of wins here is every night it seems like someone else is chipping up and making a big play. And, um, but, yeah, you, you want to get Burakovsky going. And he was just starting to heat up before he got hurt. And – you know, now it was six games in, and, you know, I said on our podcast afterwards, it was like he was back for six games, but tonight was the real return of Andre Burakovsky, and he was mm-hmm. playing well. I mean, the pass to Brett Connolly was just as important or just as big as anything he did in that game, and he won the puck along the boards and sets up Connolly for a late game-tying goal. So, yeah, you need him to get going and just sort of fit back into that mix because all of a sudden that top line looks really set. Oshie joins that Kuzi and Vrana chemistry, and you'd imagine that's going to be set. And now you get this, you know, third line back together again, and Burakovsky heats up. You're looking at three pretty good, productive lines, and that's, you know, that's huge for the Caps to be able to roll them out. Man, so much fun to watch them the other night at long last with the full complement of players. And you figure if uh, this continues right now, based on the line rushes today at practice, it seems DSP could be a healthy scratch second game in a row. Uh, It's a good problem to have. It's a first world problem to have for head coaches when you've got the full complement of players. But you look at that top nine, Rob, it doesn't look like Tom Wilson is going anywhere right now. You know, uh, speaking of Mike Knubel earlier this week, he said maybe he's still on a probation period. But the longer this goes on, you have to figure. He's got the staying power. You put TJ back on that second line with Verana and Kuznetsov. Uh, that is a formidable second line, top six. And uh, you're starting to see the pieces sort of slot into the appropriate places. That was something the team was uh, very beneficial from a year ago, was the consistency with the lines and sort of everyone knew their place uh, along the depth chart. Yeah, and, and, and you know, we talked about this on the, on the show the other night with Anson Carter. Um, someone tweeted in something along the lines of, now we're starting to to get the you know see the caps that we've all grown accustomed to or you know that we were spoiled by over the years, 
And I was like, you know, I kind of don't agree with that because this is fun. The last couple of years, it was just let's get to the playoffs. Like, whatever, let's get another President's Trophy and let's just get to the playoffs. But this has really been like, oh, wow, look at Jacob Rana develop. You know, look at Stevenson have nice moments here. And even DSP, look at him having, you know, he already matched his and surpassed his totals from last year. So he filled his role. And it's, it's, it's a tough business, sports. You know, he's done everything they asked of him, and he's still going to get a, a healthy scratch, it looks like, again. But, yeah, this one's a little more fun because you got a young pair of defensemen who are developing right in front of your eyes and being everyday NHL players and all these changes and they're right back at the top of the standings where we've grown mm-hmm. accustomed. So it, it was important, but also a little more fun than the last couple of years. I agree. The journey, if you will, is a little more, a yeah. uh, little few more storylines along the way, and it's been enjoyable to watch as we approach the Christmas break. We appreciate this, Rob. We will look for the podcast as well. Caps Extra with George McPhee, special guest joining Rob and Tarek. That'll be uh, online tomorrow, I imagine. Yeah, we're going to hopefully tape it at 5, maybe put it out tonight. I don't know what the media, the digital people do, but whenever it's out, just look for it. It will should be a fun one. Oh, see, you don't know some of the techie stuff, too. All right. Appreciate this, Rob. <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. All right, anytime, Ben. See you. <laughs> All right, there he is. Rob Carlin from NBC Sports Washington joining us here on Capstock. All right, we will take a timeout. When we come back, man, oh, man, we are doing the rounds here. We are going to go to Arizona We're going to check in with John Walton, get the -the on-the-scenes story following the Capitals' practice today as they get set to face the Coyotes tomorrow night, get the lowdown on practice today, any uh, developments as the Caps get set for 2-2, and maybe a little idea on who will be the starting goaltender tomorrow night in Arizona. I have to figure Grubauer and Holpe split the back-to-backs. We'll check in with John Walton next as Caps Talk continues in a moment. Caps Radio 24-7 and the Caps mobile app. The home of Hockey Talk in Washington. Caps Radio 24-7. Now Backstrom able to take it away. The out lead for Orlov, who will skate through neutral across the Dallas line. Gets around Klingberg. He scores! Oh, my! Dmitry Orlov inside out against Klingberg. That's the best goal I've ever seen Dmitry score. 6.48 to go in the second. It's 2-2 here in Dallas. And Orlov stick handling, dangling, absolutely filthy on Ben Bishop. And there it was. Doesn't get old from Tuesday night in the eventual overtime win against the Dallas Stars. Dmitry Orlov, his fourth goal of the season, 24th of his NHL career, and arguably the best of the bunch, a goal of the year candidate right there from Dmitry Orlov in the win over the Dallas Stars. It was the Capitals' fourth win in a row, their 12th in the last 15 games, as they remain in sole possession atop the Metropolitan Division, two points clear of both the New Jersey Devils and the Columbus Blue Jackets. The Capitals will look to build off of Tuesday's win in Dallas when they take on the Arizona Coyotes tomorrow. That will be the front end of back-to-backs as they then visit the Vegas Golden Knights on Saturday at T-Mobile Arena. And the Capitals just wrapping up practice a little while ago in Arizona. That's where we find John Walton right now. It's like a live on-the-scene report. John, how how was practice, and uh, what did we learn from practice today? Anything at all? Uh, it was a practice. 
that's about <laughs> all we can say. Uh, it was, uh, you know, it, it's weird because you've got this downtime in Arizona where we're a long way from home, and you've got a whole lot of sound and fury starting tomorrow night and the quickest turnaround that you can have, 22 hours, to play, I think it's safe to say, the hottest team in the league and the Vegas Golden Knights. So uh, they are taking advantage a little bit of the downtime in between, but uh, getting back to work to it today. And I would imagine, and I don't know that we, we did not get confirmation, and you'll hear from Barry Trotz coming up here a little later in the show. I uh, didn't mention anything about goaltenders tomorrow, but would think that Philip Grubauer was in the starters net today. We did learn that. Uh, I would imagine that you're going to get him a game this weekend, but uh, the game tomorrow against the Coyotes, the Grubauer would make a whole lot of sense to play in, and then you've got Braden waiting for the Knights on Saturday. But we will see as we get through the skate tomorrow morning. All right, so a little nugget there. Grubauer in the starters net at practice this afternoon in Arizona. And, hey, John, Capitals got to be feeling good about themselves, particularly after the win the other night and the way it unfolded, getting the contributions there from the third line. Burakovsky with his three-point night, the first star. Connolly with a goal and an assist. Lars Eller with a couple of assists. All that being said, we've been waiting for that third line to get clicking since Burakovsky returned, and uh, they certainly did in a big way in the win over the Stars. I just got done talking to Lars Eller a few minutes ago for an interview for the website, and he said exactly that. I mean, after he scored the first goal, you know, the confidence only goes up from there. And to be able to come up with the OT winner, that's certainly uh, icing on top of the cake. But I think for a guy that hadn't scored a goal since October 20th, he'd been fighting it for a half dozen games and trying to find whether or not, you know, it's physical and you're trying to get back and then it's mental and then, you know, scoring and you're dependent upon for offense and you're not contributing a whole lot. I, I think with Andre, confidence is a really important thing. And I think you saw that the other night in Dallas because once he had that first goal, I thought his game was terrific. Uh, just absolutely outstanding to be able to get the goal that he did to win it. But I think he was doing a lot of good things in between those two events. And for that third line now, okay, Brett Connolly with a goal and, and Lars Eller, as you said, with a couple of assists. And, you know, that's your third line. And now the second line, you get Oshie back. And he's full tilt and, and good to go for the second game in a row here starting tomorrow night. So, uh, top line. I mean, this team 1-12, to uh, I, I don't know if, I mean, in theory, they're not quite as deep as they were a year ago. But, boy, they're getting close, aren't they? Because uh, you look at from 1-12 to and you're getting contributions from all over the place. And that's a sign of a pretty good hockey team. And, you know, you come up with any points here in this stretch starting tomorrow night between now and Saturday, uh, even one win out of two, you're looking at having first place at Christmas. And that would be pretty special, I think, especially how the thing started around here this year. And you reference the health of the team, the healthiest they've been, knock on wood, since early October. I have to go back to game four or five of the season, the last time they had the full complement of players healthy like they are right now but that being said what I'm getting at John is Devontae Smith-Pelly sits out the other night as a healthy scratch and granted we're going down the depth chart here we're talking about 12th and 13th forwards here for a moment but I thought it was noteworthy that Chandler Stevenson stayed in you figured uh, yes Chandler Stevenson is playing well but that maybe would have been the quote-unquote easy decision you know as far as he's the rookie he's the young guy you take him out you sit him out but uh Devontae Smith-Pelly the veteran takes a seat and I think what I'm getting at is that says something as well about the trust that uh Chandler Stevenson has earned from uh Barry Trotz yeah I call him the Swiss Army knife and I think that's a pretty accurate description he does a lot of things they want to bring him along on the penalty kill seen a little bit from him there but I, I think you know there's probably more to come and maybe not just this season, but moving forward. Uh, you know, I think they look to him in that role, and I think he's been able to acclimate himself as an everyday NHLer, and that's 
pretty great for a guy that it was put on waivers back in training camp and no one took him and he went to Hershey and he was determined to be able to turn it around and get back up here and not just make it back here, but to be able to stick. And I think your point's a valid one when you say that, all right, you're going to take DSP out of the lineup. I mean, don't forget Nathan Walker's here now too. Uh, albeit it sounds like if you reading between what you'll hear from Barry Trotz coming up in a little while, uh, he's here right now because he has to be. Will he be here after the holiday freeze is done? He Barry said three, four times in the same soundbite, he's got to play. He's got to play. Well, right now, and to your point of this whole talking about Stevenson and DSP, there's no room at the end here. I, I don't see any way that he's not going to Hershey when it's all said and done uh, after the holidays. And that's not a knock on Nathan nearly so much as it is. It's just a lot of depth around here. And you've got to get him playing. You've got to get him back up to speed. He's been well-traveled, but he hasn't played much lately. Uh, the time in Edmonton, he uh, went into one or two games. It was a healthy scratch there. It was a healthy scratch here a bunch. Uh, he needs to go down to Hershey for a month or two and just get her going. Uh, and, and I think that's probably going to be the best thing for him. What was it like seeing him? It was weird. I walked <laughs> yeah. in the room, uh, and I say, "Welcome back!" Hey, I was like, hey, "Thanks." <laughs> I, you know, it was uh, it was strange to see him back out there because it was almost in the midst of, you know, you're traveling, you know, to Dallas and then traveling to Arizona, and the team was off yesterday, so you know, the, the broadcasters saw one another, but we didn't really see a lot of the players yesterday. So when you get to the rink today, it's like, "Oh, that's right, he's here, isn't he?" Uh, it, it was. It was strange, but, you know, good for him. I mean, I, I think he's an important part of this organization. I still think he has, you know, a, a role at the NHL level if they need him for that. I, I think that, you know, he just needs to be able to play, uh, as Barry will say here in a little bit. Uh, and I, I would think that once you get past the, the freeze and the team heads to New York for that game with the Rangers, uh, I, I'd be a little surprised if he wasn't on his way to Hershey. All right, and final thing, John, as the Capitals look ahead to the Vegas Golden Knights, I know it's Arizona first and then Vegas, but man, oh man, the Golden Knights, the uh, early season favorite for best story of the year. Did you see their win the other night over Tampa Bay? They get it done with two seconds remaining in regulation. It's like every night that Vegas team is finding a different way to win hockey games. 14-2-1 on home ice, maybe working to the Capitals' advantage. They'll be playing there, playing the uh, back end of back-to-backs. It might be. I I did see the end of it when we got to the plane in Dallas uh, at Love Field on the way of coming here, and I, I was just I was shocked. Uh, and I think that what they what they're doing. And by the way, you know I think people can talk about. I know you've got Wyshynski talking about the story he wrote, which was excellent uh, coming up. But I, as far as that's concerned, I don't think that's at all what Tampa had going on. They had a two nothing lead. Uh, they came out firing. They were the better team in the first twenty minutes. They weren't going to be beaten by the Vegas flu, quote-unquote, and it didn't matter. And that's what's crazy about what's going on in Vegas. You know, you can talk about, you know, teams come in there for two or three days. It's novel. Hey, we're in Vegas. And, you know, like the Blackhawks went in and got thumped, and Winnipeg did too. Uh, only two teams have gotten out of there with wins. It'd be great to see the Caps be the third. But uh, I didn't think that's what that was at all. I think Tampa was more than ready to play. They just – ran up against a team that does not stop working. It was told to me, and until I see him in person, I guess I'm, I'm going a little bit on secondhand information, but it was said that they don't have a number one line, but they got three number twos, and you better be ready for that, and they're going to be in your face all night long. And now that Flurry is back, I, I'm, I really wasn't buying them until maybe the last few weeks where you, they're in a position now in a division that's winnable, 
to say, you know what, maybe that whole plan of trading assets to improve for down Mm -hmm. the line, maybe that's not how this is going to go. Maybe they are actually going to be buyers uh, at the trade deadline. It's a fascinating story. Uh, The Caps, uh, I'm looking forward, you know, from my standpoint, to be able to see the game on Saturday, see the atmosphere everybody raves about. You know, it's uh, like Nashville where, I mean, people are just going crazy for this team. That's for, for hockey. For the National Hockey League, that's great. I, I, I love the fact that, that it's thriving in Vegas and it's doing so well already. Uh, but having said that, uh, hopefully they, they stumble there on Saturday night and uh, the Caps can skate away with a pretty good-looking road trip. Man, also worth noting, Caps playing 2-2. Two and two. Vegas, it will be their first game since Tuesday, so they will be a rested bunch waiting for the Capitals on the Strip. We'll speak to you tomorrow, John. Appreciate this, so thank you. All righty. Thanks, Ben. All right, there he is. John Walton joining us following the Capitals afternoon practice in Arizona. And again, we'll wait to see tomorrow officially what the goaltending setup is for the Caps with the two games and two nights. But John referencing Philip Grubauer in the starters net at practice this afternoon in Arizona. All right, we will take a timeout when we come back. Speaking of those Vegas Golden Knights, we're going to check in with the puck daddy, Greg Wyshynski. From ESPN.com, he spent a few days at T-Mobile Arena. His thoughts on the atmosphere in Vegas and the home ice advantage the Golden Knights seem to have over every other team in the league. Also coming up in hour number two, talking about home arena. The Islanders are getting a new one back on Long Island. We'll chat with Brian Compton from NHL.com. We'll also hear from head coach Barry Trotz. Fresh audio. He spoke to the media within the hour after Caps practice. We'll do that a whole lot more as our number two of this Thursday afternoon edition of Caps Talk is back in a moment. Caps Radio 24-7 in the Caps mobile app. This is Caps Talk on Caps Radio 24-7. Tell us what's on your mind. Reach us on Twitter at Capitals Radio by email at CapsVoice at gmail.com or pick up the phone and call us right now. 1-855-GO-CAPS-5. Now, back to the show. Here's your host of Caps Talk, Ben Raby. All right, welcome back inside the D.C. Studios, hour number two of this Thursday afternoon edition of Caps Talk. As the Capitals get set for back-to-back games before the three-day Christmas break tomorrow night against the Arizona Coyotes, losers of seven in a row. And then Saturday night, we're looking forward to this one. The Capitals' first game against the Vegas Golden Knights, the Pacific Division co-leaders with the L.A. Kings. Vegas, though, with two games in hand on Los Angeles. And talking a whole lot about the Vegas Golden Knights in today's show and happy to keep the conversation going right now. With Greg Wyshynski from ESPN.com, who just spent a few days at T-Mobile Arena taking in the scenery, I'm sure. Greg, how are you? Doing well. Yeah, it was an extended stay in Vegas, which is always a dicey proposition, but I made it out alive. (laughs) All right. Well, that's good to hear. All right. So you've got the story up. You you may have had some fun, but not before you did some good work there. It's on ESPN.com right now. The story uh, looking at the quote-unquote Vegas flu and asking the question is the Vegas flu for real and what we're getting at is the Golden Knights a league best 14 2 and 1 on home ice Greg we were all joking right in the offseason coming into the year oh yeah teams are going to go into Vegas and uh, the Golden Knights are going to have a home ice advantage because teams are going to go enjoy themselves and maybe they won't be 100% when it comes time to play 17 games into their home schedule 
something is giving them an edge that they have this 14-2-1 record, and I know you did the research, perhaps a few things contributing to that home ice edge. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a, it's a deep dive look at whether or not the uh, Vegas flu is in fact uh, real or, or just uh, an excuse for why the, uh, the Knights have been so successful at home. And, you know, I would say that there's some truth to it. I think the Knights players themselves in the story – uh, definitely give it some credence. None of them are saying it's the reason. Uh, I think that's mostly because they don't want to have it detract from how well they've played on home ice themselves. They don't want to chalk it up right. to you know a bunch of guys carousing before the game. Um, but there's something to the fact that this is a city built to make you lose all sense of time and, and space. Uh, there's no clocks or, or windows in, in these casinos and, and a lot of these clubs and and, uh, you know, it's not a surprise that uh, players might be out a little bit longer than they would be in other cities that might have, like, a last call. But the other thing, too, is that the teams that are visiting the Golden Knights are trying their best to avoid the Vegas flu themselves. I, in my research, I found that uh, a number of teams are staying at the Mandarin Oriental Hotel on the Vegas Strip, which just happens to be close to the arena and one that doesn't have either casinos or smoking uh, in, the casino, in, in the hotel. So, uh, the, the teams are cognizant of it, trying to keep their guys uh, away from direct temptation with the acknowledgement that they're probably going to be tempted anyway. And perhaps the best recipe is what the Detroit Red Wings found out early in the season. Go into Vegas. Usually you don't want back-to-backs. You go in, you're playing the second half of back-to-backs because it seems some teams are getting there. They're getting there a few days early, maybe get acclimated to the time zone, maybe spend a few days for team bonding, rookie dinners, whatever it may be. Those are the teams, it seems, the ones we're spending the most time there. They're having the toughest time on the ice. Yeah, and you mentioned rookie dinners. I mean, that's that's another thing I found out in the story is that the the rookie dinner tradition in which the rookies pick up the tab for the older players uh, has definitely been shifted to, to Vegas this year. There's a number of teams <laughs> that have had their rookie dinners, these blowout dinners at, at restaurants that cost like three times as much as they do anywhere else in the country. Uh, <clears throat> that's definitely become a tradition there. Um, but like you said, I mean, the, the Vegas flu thing is also a consideration of scheduling. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets were a team that came in and spent three days in Vegas before their game against the Knights and ended up losing. Uh, teams like the Carolina Hurricanes basically went to their players and said, look, you know, we're going to stay here an extra day after our game. So be on the straight and narrow before we play the night. And then you can go party, you know, the day afterward and they win. And then, you know, the best example was the Dallas Stars who made their Vegas trip, their father slash mentor trip. So you got a bunch of dads. Ooh, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, watching it, watching out for their kids. Now, granted, <laughs> hockey dads can be as bad as the players sometimes, as far as that stuff goes. But you know, you might you might be on a little bit more of your best behavior if your dad's on the trip uh, than you would be otherwise. And that was a game the Dallas Stars won three nothing. They're one of only two teams to beat the Golden Knights in regulation in Vegas. That's true. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, there's a, a lot of factors that go into this Vegas flu thing and go into, uh, you know, the, the way the Knights have played. But I'll, I'll say this about the, the Golden Knights, having seen them now a few times in home ice this year. There's two things you got to realize. First off, every game is a playoff atmosphere. The fans in that building are, are loud and consistent. And you've got people like Steven Stamkos saying that they haven't experienced a regular season atmosphere like that in years. Um, that's one factor. And, and you got to remember that this is a fan base bonded to that team in a way that no one could have predicted because of the tragedy that happened in Vegas mm-hmm. on October 1st, the shooting there, like the, the fan, the, every single game has a reminder of, of that tragedy. And it's really made the bond between this team and its fans 
something really uh, tangible. And the other thing, too, is that they're good. Like, the Knights are a really good team. They've got a few good lines going. The, the, the Florida Panthers casts off Riley Smith and yeah. Jonathan Marcheseau have combined to be a palpable great line. Uh, you know, the James Neal line works. Uh, the goaltending has been good throughout the season, even through injuries. They're a good hockey team, and, uh, and, and so you combined all these factors together, and it's no secret why they have been as successful as they've been on home ice. So final thing on the home ice advantage, I wonder when teams start going there now, a second or third time, maybe there is a little bit of a novelty right now. They want to experiment it. They want to see it. Maybe you've got you know some players from overseas who've never even been to Las Vegas, so they're trying to enjoy it. I wonder teams go there a second or third time if the results might be different, and, and also if they are to make the Stanley Cup playoffs, Vegas is is a team. Are you like sequestering your team if you're if you're the road team for a playoff series? You can't be having a good time at that point in the year. Yeah, and I'm sure that, you know, then, then, then teams are a bit more uh, narrowly focused than would be in a regular season game. Look, you know, the, the one, somebody with a, with a team that had visited the, the Knights told me, you know, this year I think a lot of teams are going to take a mulligan. You know, they're just going to say, look, it's a novelty. Like you said, there's going to be young, rich, frequently European players that have maybe <laughs> never even seen Las Vegas before that are going to want to experience the city. And then maybe in year two of this Vegas team being there, you either get the novelty wearing off for the players that visit, or you get teams stepping up and putting on uh, a bit, uh, a few restrictions. Because that's another thing that I found out in reporting the story for ESPN was there are no curfews for these players, uh, you know, extra, you know, restrictions or anything like that that you might expect for a team visiting Las Vegas. Uh, they're kind of letting the players do what they want, and maybe they'll re- reevaluate it for next season. All right, so again, Greg Wyshynski's articles, the Vegas flu reel inside the Golden Knights, stunning home success. No paywall on this one, ESPN.com. It's there on the main page for NHL coverage. Uh, final thing here, Greg, just looking at the Golden Knights play as a whole, it's amazing when you think about, okay, they had the start of the season that they did, 8-1, and one, a home-heavy schedule to start, a couple of games against Arizona, a couple of games against Buffalo, maybe favorable scheduling. But look, we're two months removed from that. How do you explain the success that they have and how sustainable, I would think now we've reached the point where it is sustainable, how do you describe that they've been able to do it beyond that initial uh, adrenaline rush in October? (laughs) Well, uh, the first thing is that, you know, we've – Expansion team, the term expansion team has become sort of a pejorative, I think, uh, to describe a collection of cast-offs that might not necessarily earn third-line minutes in, in, in most situations. But this one's different, and, and the, the rules were set up by the NHL to try to get the best team possible in Vegas as quickly as possible. And I think we can say without, without much doubt now that this is a better collection of players than maybe we were going to give them credit for. But as far as the sustained success, I think you have to give uh, Dave Pryor, their goalie coach, who's a name that would be familiar to Capitals fans, credit for keeping the goaltending uh, on the straight and narrow despite a, a slew of injuries, including one uh, concussion of Marc-Andre Fleury that kept him out for a long time. And you have to give credit to Gerard Gallant for you know, keeping this team hungry. Look, the, the, the thing you got to remember about the Knights and their success, they only have about 12 players under contract for next year. This is a lot of free agents, restricted and unrestricted, that are not only playing to try to stay in Vegas through the trade deadline this year, but maybe earn another contract to uh, live and play in that city, or failing that, earn a contract with another team. So there's a lot of carrots in front of these guys that keep them hungry and, and, and playing hard. You know, all that contract future stuff on top of constantly competing for ice time within this team. It's, it's a fascinating study in motivation, 
and uh, and so far it's it's resulted in one of the most surprising seasons we've had in the NHL in a long time. Fascinating story. It's been fun to watch. A story with legs, as we say in the business. It'll be fun to watch during the second half of the season. Greg Wyshynski, the Puck Daddy, ESPN.com. Appreciate this, Greg. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Thank you. Same to you. Thanks. All right, there he is. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN.com. Awesome stuff there. Perspective on the Vegas Golden Knights and their home ice advantage. All right, when we come back, we're going to turn our attention Back to the Capitals. We're going to hear from head coach Barry Trotz meeting with the media less than an hour ago in Arizona following the Capitals practice as they get set for two and two. Now the Coyotes tomorrow night and the Golden Knights on Saturday. We'll hear from head coach Barry Trotz, Brian Compton from NHL.com. Still up ahead as well as this Thursday afternoon edition of Caps Talk continues in a moment. Caps Radio 24-7 in the Caps mobile app. Sports talk show in Washington, completely dedicated to hockey. You're welcome. Rock the ring! This is Caps Talk. Caps Radio 24-7, baby. All capitals, all the time. Call the show at 1-855-GO-CAPS-5 right now or reach us on Twitter at Capitals Radio. Basket brings it in again. Right side, big shot, he scores! Oh, Betskin! Good afternoon and good night, Anaheim, Washington from two down in the third. Ovechkin scoring in sudden death, his 23rd of the year. And the Caps, winners again on home ice, three to two. And tonight's number one star of the game from the Washington Capitals with the game-winning overtime goal, your captain, the great eight, Alex Ovechkin. There was Saturday night at Capital One Arena. Alex Ovechkin with his league-leading 23rd goal of the season. That remains tops in the NHL. Ovechkin tied with Tampa Bay's Nikita Kucherov. 23 goals on the season as Ovechkin uh, eyes another Rocket Richard trophy. Still a lot of... Uh, racetrack left to go between now and the end of the regular season but certainly a positive sign from Alex Ovechkin after he was limited last season I put this in air quotes Ovechkin last year scoring only 33 goals on the air that's a great season for most a little below what we've become spoiled and accustomed to with Alex Ovechkin but he made it a point to have a bounce back season and so far 35 games in up to 23 tallies on the year including 17 at even strength uh, certainly enjoying One of the best first halves to a season in his career. All right, as we welcome you back inside the D.C. studios, hour number two of Caps Talk, getting you set for the Capitals and Coyotes tomorrow night in Glendale. The Capitals practicing late this afternoon in Arizona and following the Capitals practice, some fresh audio here from just within the last little bit. Head coach Barry Trotz speaking to the media. These guys have been scuffling pretty hard lately, but do you feel like the the fact that you had them last month at home and they gave you all that that you can handle maybe helps you guys uh, not overlook these guys well i think it i think it helps a little bit and one thing you have to remember i, I if you watch the coyotes playing right now they're they're playing pretty good hockey i mean they're not uh, playing uh, 
really poor hockey. I think you know, the, at least the games I've seen, I, I think they're a young team. Uh, when things go a little bit off off the rails for them, uh, they're they're having a just like every young team learning to to win consistently. And that I just they haven't found quite that uh, consistent uh, mechanism, if you will, just to you know if something doesn't go their their way to sort of stop those momentum type things. So. Uh, but they, they've got lots of talent. They've they're got some dynamic people. Um, I, I think they're a good young hockey team, and, and it's, it's not – I wouldn't look at their record. I, I look at the, their team and how they play, and uh, they're right there. So they gave us all we can handle in, in Washington. So that's a – if there's anything in, the, in that last game that we played against them, you, you recognize how talented they are. This little whirlwind for Walker here. What do you want – him to kind of learn from this whole experience. Well, I just talked to I just talking to Walks. You know, every experience will make him better. I mean, uh, obviously we weren't getting him in the lineup here, um, and Edmonton uh, got him in a couple games, and he saw, you know, how other teams do things and where he maybe stacks up not only with our guys but, you know, another organization's guys. So, you know, we, we just talked real briefly, and we'll have a longer discussion about where his game needs to go go next so um, but I know he's for us uh, he, he's got some of those those great qualities as a as a young man as he, he he comes to play and and he's he's very competitive and he looks to try to get better all the time and he's got a, a, a great spirit about him that uh, you can't measure in stats and all that so um, I know when he he blew in uh, yesterday the guys are really happy that he he was back, and I know they were all cheering for him. So um, good to have him back, and hopefully we can give him some direction and uh, of where we can get his game to go next. You guys were obviously trying to send him down before he went on, got claimed. I mean, where are you guys at with that? As well, well he needs to play. Yeah. Well, right now he's he has to stay with us due to the roster freeze, um, and he will will be with us till after the Christmas break here. Um, and then we'll have to decide. He needs to play hockey. I mean, he's played about nine or ten games now at, at max. It's just not enough for a young player. So we're going to evaluate that and then make the right decision for the player, not necessarily for us right now, uh, but for the player. So um, if we can get him in or if we have something happen in terms of our, our roster, then, then he, he'll go in. If not, then you know we'll have to make that decision if he goes to Hershey or not. But he needs to play. And he needs to, you know, keep growing his game because uh, it's great to be in the National Hockey League, uh, but it doesn't help you to to not play. And we got to do that. And he's got to get playing. And uh, I got like Taylor Chorner here. I want to get him in in one of these two games here for sure. Um, uh, so I got to get those guys playing. We've been uh, knock on wood. We've been fairly healthy, um, and it's we've stayed pretty status quo. So uh, for the most part, we've. Uh, had a real tough schedule and we were able to get through it with uh, with not a lot of injuries because we're up against the cap all the time. You mentioned it a little bit about Arizona, a young team, but a team that doesn't give up a lot in the first period, trying to take away their hope and optimism early. That's usually when things go off the rails for them. Yeah, you know, they're, they, they come out hard. I mean, that's they, they got a lot of speed to their game. Uh, they're, you know, we, we ideally teams that have... Uh, maybe haven't found that winning formula yet. If you can get to them early, then it really puts them in an eight hole. You know, the, the doubt starts to creep in. So against this team, we just got to be ready to go tomorrow and play hard and play the way we need to play. And 
and to respect our opponent and all those things that I, I, I expect us to do. And if we do all that, hopefully we'll have a positive result. This league's so tough. I mean, every every game's a, a, a tough game, so I expect that from, from Arizona. They want to they want to go on their Christmas break on a, a feeling good about uh, getting a win before the, for Christmas. So they're they're going to be ready to go. And there they are. Some of the thoughts earlier this afternoon following the Capitals' practice in Arizona from head coach Barry Trotz, and talking about the Arizona Coyotes right there, last overall in the NHL and losers of seven in a row. Coyotes seven twenty four and five on the campaign coming off a 3-2 loss on Tuesday night against the Florida Panthers. And a few other bullet points there. Heard uh, Barry Trotz reference. He would like to get Taylor Chorney into a game at some point. Chorney has been a healthy scratch. Uh, eight straight games for the Capitals. We'll see if he gets into one of the back-to-backs this weekend, either tomorrow in Arizona or Saturday against the Vegas Golden Knights. And yes, just as John Walton said last hour, uh, Nathan Walker is up with the club right now after being claimed off waivers yesterday from Edmonton. That's because uh, the roster freeze right now would prohibit the Capitals from moving Nathan Walker to AHL Hershey, but the freeze will be lifted on December 27th, at which point Nathan Walker expected to be assigned to AHL Hershey. The Bears, by the way, in action tonight, taking on the Charlotte Checkers for the second time in as many nights. They were 5-4 winners last night in Charlotte, and tonight the second game in as many nights between Hershey and Charlotte, a game which will be airing right here on Caps Radio 24-7 and the Caps mobile app with Zach Fish on the call. Puck drop in that one just past 7 o'clock. All right, when we come back, going to go around the NHL a little bit, going to head to New York the Islanders taking on the Anaheim Ducks tonight. That game will be at Barclays Center, the home of the New York Islanders, for now. They will be on the move, returning to Long Island at Belmont Park, a new state-of-the-art arena being built for the New York Islanders. It will be the first time, seemingly in franchise history, that they have a state-of-the-art building that they will be able to call home. Big, exciting news in New York. The announcement made official yesterday. And we'll chat with Brian Compton from NHL.com on what the announcement means for the Islanders, what it could potentially mean for John Tavares. And we'll do that next as Caps Talk returns in a moment. Caps Radio 24-7 in the Caps mobile app. Caps Talk. Caps Radio 24-7. Afternoons, Monday through Friday, 4 to 6 Eastern, on Washington's home for Caps Hockey, Caps Radio 24-7. Center point, Alex open, pumps it toward the net, Tavares deflects it, and scores! It's the first Brooklyn hat trick ever for John Tavares! His seventh career hat trick! The hats are hitting the ice here at Barclays Center, and the captain has put New York back on top. It's 4-3. Matt Chris King had the call back in October, October 24th, an eventual 5-3 Islanders win over the Arizona Coyotes. And yes, John Tavares among his season highlights, a hat-trick in the win over the Coyotes in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center, the home, of course, of the New York Islanders for now. The announcement made official yesterday. The Islanders set to break ground at Belmont Park, site of their new state-of-the-art arena, which is set to open for the 2020 
2021 season. As we welcome you back inside the D.C. studios, Ben Ravy back with you. Hour number two of this Thursday afternoon edition of Caps Talk. Big news in New York yesterday regarding the future home of the New York Islanders as they are returning to Long Island, something the fan base has certainly been clamoring for and They'll provide some perspective right now on that story. We welcome into the program once again, Brian Compton from NHL.com. Brian, how are you? Still in disbelief, Ben. How are you, my friend? Oh, that's interesting. Tell us why you're in disbelief. I'm doing well, thanks. But uh, why the disbelief? My, my my guess, Brian, is because the fan base, things have been promised before in New York. It's almost like too hard to believe, right? That's the crux of it, Ben. I've been hearing about this my entire life, and promises were made and not kept, and uh, hurdles that couldn't be leaped by, you know, between the, the town of Hempstead and Essex County. So uh, the Islanders take another route. Trying to be an Islander fan, that's for sure. Hey, we're breaking up there just a little bit, but big news for the Islanders, of course, and uh, a significant moment. You, you know, when we talk about the the disbelief there a little bit, this is a fan base which, look, I was a Montreal Expos fan, Brian, so I certainly can sympathize <laughs> with what the Islanders have gone through. I never like to see franchises struggle with stadium issues, whatever it may be. I've got a soft spot for that. But this is a team, I think, to the 1990s, the, the John Spano era, if you will. Things are promised to these fans promises for whether it's new arenas or or you know a new you know tone around the team and they just haven't been met how how is it being received i guess over the last 24 hours or so from a fan base which again has been waiting a a long long time for this yeah you you nailed it it's it's a huge sigh of relief for a fan base that has been through so much and dragged through the mud for so long um like i was saying earlier just so many promises that weren't kept um the team you know leaves nassau county with them to come back basically a year after they kicked them out of here so um it's it's just a it's a great time to be an islanders fan and uh john ledecky was saying on and on and on yesterday about uh just thanking the fan base for sticking with them and uh kudos to john and scott Falcon for making this happen within basically two years of of seizing ownership from charles Wong. the commissioner approved this transaction uh which we're very grateful for And uh, we're now appealing to the commissioner to see if we can get some of the home games played at the Nassau Coliseum until this new arena is built. All right, so there he is, Governor Cuomo, yesterday afternoon. And for context there, Brian, the Islanders are locked into the Barclays Center for at least one more season, 2018-19. The new arena won't be ready until 2020-21. So there is that little bit of an elephant in the room. There is a year in between. The question is, where are they going to play that year? I believe there's a few things which could develop over the next few weeks, but fill us in on, on what the plan potentially is for that uh, time period in between. Yeah, Ben, and I think 21-22 is probably a little bit more realistic for the opening of Belmont. Um, that's not confirmed. That's just my feeling, just all the things that – Still need to be done over on the Belmont property between environmental studies and uh, meeting with the community and everything else. So I think 21-22 is more realistic. Um, they are committed to playing here at the at Barclays Center next year. After that, uh, we honestly don't know. Commissioner Bettman said um, he's not. He's gone on and on about how the Coliseum is not a viable option, but he did say uh, he would listen to what the Islander ownership wanted to do. Uh, he's not committed to saying that they that they can play at the Coliseum while Belmont is under construction, but 
Um, he didn't rule it out either, so we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. Again, I don't want to speak for anybody at the league, but mm-hmm. um, it, we'll, we'll just see what happens. I think it's a possibility. But folks want them. I mean, you hear Cuomo makes that announcement. Uh, okay, people are applauding, whatever it may be. But from what I understand, the, the, the combination of Barclays Center not being the ideal home and the fan base really being in the Long Island area, it, it sounds to me like most folks are, whether, you know, maybe it's not Gary Bettman's preference, but it would seem to me that the uh, the fan base there, whether it's for nostalgic purposes or, or convenience, uh, would be happy with a few seasons at the Coliseum. Not sure how the players would feel, but at least the fan base would. No, I think the players are open to it because it's closer to home. I mean, for most of the guys, it's it's 10 to 15 minutes from where they live to the Coliseum. Uh, and the Barclays folks run the Coliseum, so I think it would appease the Barclays people as well. Uh, they would still get a piece of the gate for a couple of, a couple more years for the owners move to Belmont. So uh, there's a lot of reasons why it's a good idea, and the reasons why it's not is because it seats fewer than 14,000 fans now for hockey after it went up. Uh, under under the renovations over the past couple of years. And there's one concourse, Ben. No, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've been there as well. Um, if you have to go to the bathroom in the first period, you're going to miss the start of the second because there's just the lines are obscene. Uh, they didn't add any restrooms when they renovated the place. So uh, it's a lot of the same problems. Well, I wonder if folks can get over that if they know, hey, it's only for a year or two and you've got oh, the new sure. barn ready yeah. to open. So something to keep in mind as well. Final thing here, Brian, it's Brian Compton joining us from NHL.com. Uh, just want to ask you about the Islanders as a whole this season. Not going to bother you with the elephant in the room and John Tavares and his contract situation, but the play <laughs> on the ice this year uh, between John Tavares, Anders Lee, and Josh Bailey. Uh, man, oh man, a formidable number one line there and Anders Lee having a, uh, another terrific season right now for the Islanders. I know the offense is there. The question is, can they keep the pucks out of the net? But as they approach Christmas here, uh, six points, I believe, behind the division-leading Capitals. How do you assess where the Islanders are as we uh, inch closer here to the first half of the, the halfway mark of the year? Yeah, the whole top line, Ben, has been insane. It really has since Barzell, uh, not since Barzell, since Bailey took over the right wing uh, from Jordan Everly, uh, which like, Jordan lasted about two or three weeks on the top line with Johnson, since things just weren't clicking. But uh, Matt Barzell has been huge for this team, and he and uh, Andrew Ladd and Everly have, have really been clicking on that second line. So goals are, are pretty easy to come by around here, Ben, but keeping the puck out is a whole other issue. Um, Thomas Grice has been not good at all. I mean, it's pretty much four goals or more every time he's out there. Yarrow's going to start tonight, so we'll see how he does here against the Ducks. But uh, Calvin DeHaan could be out long term. Uh, that's certainly not going to help issues here. So uh, curious to see whether or not Garth can, can try to acquire a top four defenseman or if they call up Devontae's a kid that they've been pretty high on from Bridgeport. So we'll just have to wait and see. Is that that's long term with DeHaan? It, well, it's not confirmed, um, but it, it certainly didn't look good. He, he, broke, he broke up a two-on-one that led to the overtime goal for the Islanders against, uh, I think it was Los Angeles last Saturday. So uh, we haven't seen him since. He was going, he was getting an MRI. He's had shoulder issues before. I don't know if it's the shoulder, but it sure looked that way. Um, but uh, So we'll, we'll have to see what the timetable is going to be. But uh, it doesn't look good, that's for sure. And if it's long-term, the Islanders are going to have to figure something out for sure. All right, something to keep tabs on. Enjoy the game tonight, the Islanders and the Anaheim Ducks. Brian Compton from NHL.com. Appreciate this, Brian. Thank you very much. Anytime, Ben. Thanks for having me. Take care. All right, there he is, Brian Compton from NHL.com on the Islanders beat. 
for NHL.com. Islanders taking on the Anaheim Ducks tonight. One of 10 games on a busy Thursday around the National Hockey League. We'll fill you in on the details. We'll go around the league a little bit as Caps Talk returns in a moment. Caps Radio 24-7 in the Caps mobile app. Your afternoon commute just got a whole lot better. This is Caps Talk on Caps Radio 24-7. Talking Capitals with you while you drop your gloves in traffic. Backstrom at center for Wilson. Wilson, strong move again, cutting in, a shot, he scores! Oh, what a cut to the net by Tommy! In on Lundquist, a minute 32 to go, Tom Wilson makes it four to Washington! There he is, the hashtag top line Tommy, Tom Wilson. That was last Friday as he picked up the goal in the win over the New York Rangers, a 4-2 victory, a big insurance tally right there. That was actually a couple of Fridays ago, December 8th, earlier this month, as the Capitals wrapped up a season-high five-game homestand in style. They beat the Rangers with Tom Wilson picking up a goal and an assist in the final moments of the third period as he continues to look at home, look at ease. On that number one line, skating alongside Alex Ovechkin and Nicholas Backstrom, the sample size is growing. They have been together on the number one line for the last 13 games. Capitals with an 11-2 record over that 13-game stretch. Ovechkin leading the way, 10 goals, 17 points in those 13 games. But Tom Wilson collecting the points as well. Three goals and nine points for Tom Wilson in 13 games. He was elevated to the number one line, and along the way, he had a game on Saturday night, the overtime win over Anaheim, in which he skated a career-best 19 minutes, 58 seconds. So credit to Tom Wilson taking advantage of the opportunity at long last in his fifth NHL campaign. When they drafted him, the Capitals, as a first-rounder in 2012, they envisioned him being either a first or a second-liner In the NHL, a guy you can count on potentially for as many as 20 goals a year. They made the comparisons to Milan Lucic, then of the Boston Bruins. At the time, the best power forward, one of them anyways, in the NHL. And Capitals thought they were getting a a mini Milan Lucic, if you will, in Tom Wilson. And it's taken some time. He's had to work his way up the depth chart. Spent quite a bit of time in the organization on the fourth line over the past few years. Depth chart didn't necessarily work out in his favor, but... Tom Wilson uh, in this most recent promotion and opportunity on the top line. Uh, This seems to be the one that has given him the longest staying power, and we'll see how long he can keep it going here as uh, Tom Wilson continues to ride shotgun alongside Ovechkin and Backstrom. As we welcome you back inside the D.C. studios, home stretch here of this Thursday afternoon edition of Caps Talk. As we remind you, Hershey Bears hockey coming up in a little bit. Zach Fish will have the call just past 7 Eastern as the Bears Take on the Charlotte Checkers. All right, talking about Tom Wilson on that top line with Ovechkin and Backstrom. Mike Knubel, the Caps alum, he's no stranger to playing alongside Ovechkin and Backstrom. He was their line mate, the top line right wing, if you prefer, going back to the 09-10 season and the 2010-11 campaign. Mike Knubel was at a different stage in his career as compared to what Tom Wilson is right now. Knubel was the veteran of the trio at the time. He was in his mid-30s, but... Mike Knubel certainly with an appreciation for what Tom Wilson is going through right now and 
earlier this month on this very program. I had a chance to catch up with Mike Knubel. He joined us on the show a few weeks ago. I'm going to replay a portion of that conversation right now. Mike Knubel talking about the challenges of playing with the likes of Ovechkin and Backstrom and what Tom Wilson has to keep in mind when you're playing with some of the big boys. Yeah, yeah. Before I, you know, before I got to Washington, I was uh, kind of did the same thing in Philly and Boston, so I had a little more experience with it. I think, you know, eventually, you know, I think in the in the grand scheme of things, they see Tom there. You know, hopefully, you know, I think they would all predict long term. Uh, you know, uh, that's what probably internally what what everybody would predict and would hope for. You know, and, and when you take him in the first round, you you have a visions of where you see this player in eight or nine years and. And hopefully for the next, you know, when you draft him for the next 10 years, he's going to be uh, an incredibly valuable player. And, you know, with top-line talent and the unbelievable amount of grit and toughness that he that he does have already. And then, you know, you assume as an 18-19 year only to develop, maybe he won't be there right away, but six, seven, you know, three, four years down the line for the next six, seven years that you, you have a mainstay there. So hopefully this is like uh, for him, it, it, he certainly made his name in the league a different way, but. You know, he has the ability to play in the top line. So the good thing, you know, the, the main part for Tom there to be, and, and, you know, I think the more that he plays, the more comfortable he gets. But just his goal the other night, for example, um, uh, I went from a really tough angle for the goalie. You know, he slid it along the ice and just found its way in. You know, again, that just shows me he's not scared to shoot the puck. And I think the the problem and what you've got to learn, what a young player will learn playing with those two, is you got you have to be able to make your own decisions and make your own plays when the time comes. And you can't uh, be constantly roaming around the ice and looking around the ice to, to try and get the puck to those two. So, yeah, and, and you trust your gut instincts, and you have to, you know, like you say, believing in yourself and trusting your gut instincts and shoot the puck. If my gut says to shoot the puck, then I've got to shoot the puck. I can't change how I play and get it to those guys. So it's finding that balance, I think, as a player to go with those guys and, and really figure out a way that you can complement where you get to do your work for them and, and but still don't defer at the wrong times. Could that be easier said than done? Because we've seen guys, we've even seen Tom Wilson years ago, he's on that top line maybe four or five games, you have the adrenaline going, but the staying power, the ability to to hold it down and, and, and do that consistently, sometimes, at least in these parts, it seems easier said than done. No, it is. And, and you know, it, you know, as a player, you know it when you're like, right as the puck leaves your stick and you're trying to force a pass, or you're trying to do something that, you know, you're like, ah, right as it's leaving your stick and you know, you're like, ah, why am I doing this? You know, and it's learning and, and getting to the point where you can make those decisions to, you know, a second earlier where you're like, oh, I shouldn't do this, you know, or I'm really forcing this one. This is low percentage. This is not going to be good. You know, and then you move on and, and like you say, you, you, you stick with your own plan and shoot the puck or you do this or you hang on to it a little longer instead of forcing a pass in here or trying to jam one in there. So, um, you know, and it, you know, like you said, you, you, you mentioned, you know, it's been four games at a time and, you know, this one's nine and 10. So I wouldn't say he's out of his probationary period, you know, by any means with uh, Coach Trotz, but, you know, certainly it's a nice chunk. Now he might go, you know, 10, 11, 12 games, and then Barry might go a different way again and then retry him again. That might work for three or four games, you know what I mean? So it's it's not going to be like steady, like steady progress. You know, you're going to have some setbacks where, yeah, like Barry will keep him there for a while now and then he'll get away from it and then come back. It might be for a game or two and, and just kind of depends what's going on. And coaches are uh, obviously notorious for tinkering with their lineups and, and trying to get the most out of things. So he's for sure not in his, like I said, not in his probation, out of it, still not on probation, but uh, it's doing good, and he's got to be feeling pretty good to, to get a significant uh, segment of games in with those two. 
Yeah, and taking advantage of it at least so far. But the interesting thing too, Mike, it could be the other side of things. It's great when you're playing with the big boys, but if things start to go sour for a few games in a row, I feel like they're not necessarily. You don't necessarily point the fingers or look at uh, Ovechkin or Backstrom. You, you say to yourself, "Who's rounding out the trio? What's different now?" And maybe that you know you could have to pay a price as a result. It's pressure too. Oh, absolutely. I remember my first kind of stint playing with really good players in Boston. I was playing with Joe Thornton and uh, Glenn Murray. And, yeah, if they were pointless through a period and a half, they weren't getting broken up. I was gone. I was off the line, you know. And so, you know, and, and that's that's the way it is. I think when you're a young player, you that's that you know, say, hey, that's the pecking order around here. And, you know, maybe if I've been in this league for 10 years and been consistently scoring 80 and 90 points, uh, uh, if I have some young guy playing with me and he's not doing his job, then I want him gone too, you know? So, but, you know, a lot of times they'll come back to you again. You know, you'll come back, you just get a game reset and then reset the next game and, and hopefully the coach believes in you and, and it might just not, it might not be clicking uh, one night in particular, but, uh, and then if they do go away from you, maybe they, you know, at practice, you're always interested to see if they're going to throw you back in uh, and give you a shot the next game. Uh, I asked this on a, on a little bit of a lighter note potentially, but when you think back to playing with Ovi and Nick at that stage of their careers, I, I referenced that you and Tom Wilson are, of course, at the, you know you were at a different stage than Tom Wilson is yes. now, but Nick and Alex were at a much different stage in their career too. I'm curious what, what that was like. You know, you were, let's be honest, you know, sort of the elder statesman of the line and <laughs> yeah. just what yeah. that was like from, from that perspective and, and what you feel you maybe offered them two guys who were still in their early 20s. Yeah, no, they were, you know, they were probably uh, mid, mid-20s there. So for me, being mid-30s, you know, my goal is to keep up uh, – keep up to them and I think you know what what I tried as an older guy you know and and at that point you know you just try and show how to be a good pro and and show them you know like it's you know you can still you know once you get older always keep the passion for the game and and play as long as you can you know and I think when you're young and you're in your 20s you feel like oh I got a lot of time to a lot of time to to do stuff that was another thing I was just going to touch on like urgency in your career to try and win you know and sometimes when you're younger you might not care as much and I guarantee you you know, that's one thing you learn as you progress through your career about how much you want to win. You know, that's the next step for the, for those two, and and the organization is is getting you know is winning, winning it all. And you know, you try and impart that a little bit when you're a veteran player, and you say, you know, because you, you know your clock is running out, you don't have that many more years left, and you know you're kind of, and that's why I was a free agent to come to Washington. I thought I had a real good chance there to win and an upcoming group, and I still believe it was the right decision no matter what happened. I mean, we were we had a good enough team to win, and just didn't but you know those guys when they're younger they think they get a lot of time a lot of time you try and express to them man there's only certain times in your career where you'll have windows where it's even possible and so like time is of the essence even though you're a young guy you got to be patiently impatient to, to try and win and there they are some of the thoughts from caps alum mike knubel who joined us on the program earlier this month his thoughts right there on playing with backstrom and ovechkin And again, a little bit of context and perspective on what Tom Wilson is going through right now as he tries to earn a long-term stay on that number one line with the big boys and the sample size continuing to grow. I like what Mike Knubel said even a few weeks ago. He said, you know, maybe Tom Wilson not out of the probation period just yet, but he's certainly been there for a, a nice chunk of games right now. 13 games in a row, that trio has remained intact. And why not? Capitals 11 and 2 
over that stretch. And we touched on it last hour with John Walton as well. You start to look at the depth chart right now. You look at the team. They're all healthy right now. We don't know how long that will last, but at least right now you have sort of the optimal lineup if you're Barry Trotz and the Capitals coaching staff and Tom Wilson with Ovechkin and Backstrom on that number one line and then everyone else sort of slots into their appropriate spots. Oshie back healthy again. He is with Kuznetsov and Verana. And then that third line leading the way in the win the other night, Eller centering Burakovsky and Connolly and that trio combining for three goals and seven points in the 4-3 overtime win in Dallas. And then the fourth line, maybe we'll see a little bit of a rotation, but we know Jay Beagle's the fixture there centering it. And right now flanked by Chandler Stevenson and Alex Chason with Devontae Smith-Pelly sitting out as a healthy scratch. We'll see what uh, lineup changes may be in store, if any at all, with the Capitals playing two games in as many nights this weekend starting tomorrow in Arizona. All right, quick look at the out-of-town scoreboard for tonight. There are 10 games in the NHL, busy Thursday around the league, including a pair of games within the Metropolitan Division. Pittsburgh Penguins playing host to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Penguins struggling. They have lost five of their last seven games. They sit in sixth place in the Metropolitan Division, eight points behind the first-place Capitals. So the Penguins home against Columbus. Columbus just two back of the Caps for first place. Columbus playing their second game in as many nights, coming off a 4-2 victory last night over the Toronto Maple Leafs. Also within the division, the New Jersey Devils, winners of two in a row, taking on the New York Rangers, winners of three straight. The Devils also just two points behind the Caps for top spot in the division. Also coming up just past 7 Eastern tonight, New York Islanders playing host to the Anaheim Ducks. Anaheim Ducks continuing their trip through the Metropolitan Division. They are struggling. They have lost three in a row, and they remain a banged-up bunch. The Anaheim Ducks still playing without Ryan Kessler and Corey Perry. All right, among the other highlights tonight, Tampa Bay Lightning tops in the Atlantic Division. They are home against the struggling Ottawa Senators, who have lost 14 of their last 17 games. The Boston Bruins, they are playing well of late. They've won 11 of 14 They're home tonight against the Winnipeg Jets. The Jets just one point out of first place in the Central Division. They trail the division-leading Nashville Predators by one point. The Preds are home tonight at Bridgestone Arena, taking on the Carolina Hurricanes. Nashville actually in a first-place tie with St. Louis. And the Blues also in action tonight as they visit the Edmonton Oilers. And down a level in the American Hockey League. Again, the Hershey Bears taking on the Charlotte Checkers just past 7 Eastern tonight. And we will have that game right here on Caps Radio 24-7 and the Caps mobile app with Zach Fish on the call. So that will do it for this afternoon's edition of Caps Talk. If you missed any of it, an encore presentation, an abbreviated encore presentation is coming up next. And our thanks to our guests this afternoon, including... Rob Carlin, NBC Sports Washington, Danny Webster from NHL.com, Brian Compton, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN.com. And on the production side, we say thank you to Kyle Skonawill. It's Ben Raby here thanking you for joining us on Caps Talk, Caps Radio 24-7 and the Caps mobile app. Listening to Caps Talk on Caps Radio 24-7. Tune in every Monday through Friday at 4 Eastern to hear the players, coaches, media, and fans talk Caps, hockey. And always taking your phone calls at 1-855-GO-CAPS-5 on your all-capitals, all-the-time station. Caps Radio 24-7.